Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. If you're wondering why Scott and I are smiling and laughing, it's because it's an ongoing gag. Um, If anybody was watching on YouTube, I don't have a splitter for my USB, so I have to unplug uh, one thing to un- to plug in my microphone, and Scott has been trying to get me an extra splitter that he had, um, and he gave it to Pat Hardy, who has not given it to me or mentioned anything about it. So we'll have to see and investigate that. Pat may be keeping it for himself, but we'll get to the bottom of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thursday, December the 15th, 9.18 a.m. Central Time. Plenty to talk about today on the Hotspot Podcast. I'm a little under the weather, so probably going to throw a lot of things Scott's way so he can talk and mm-hmm. I can uh, recover my uh, voice every now and then. But uh, we are, as luck would have it, we will, we will record next Thursday, uh, the 23rd, Festivus Eve. So we will hold our Festivus episode until next Thursday with our grievances. And then we mm-hmm. will also pick our Big Ten Bowl games next Thursday. So a little preview for what we'll have next week uh, before Christmas hits. But today we have plenty on the plate, Scott. And uh, I know you've written a more, a couple more big picture things um, that I'd like to uh, kind of hit off on the top here, because we'll have plenty of time to dive into Iowa stuff. But I noticed you had a story today that I have not had a chance to read on the future of the bowl system beyond the playoff when it expands. Uh, and then you also had a piece the other day that I had a chance to kind of skim through, not read as closely as I would like to, uh, about uh, the Big Ten structure moving forward with divisions. Uh, we we found out yesterday, uh, not to anybody's surprise, that UCLA has been given clearance for a price mm-hmm. to come into the Big Ten. So the wheels are moving here, and uh, the future is not right now, but it's damn close. Yeah, exactly. We're finally... We're finally to the point now where we, we're exiting the, the cave, you know, and we haven't run into the side of the walls. So I think we've seen 20, you know, next year is kind of the last year of 
what we've determined to be normalcy for about a decade. And then it kind of really changes with a, a playoff structure that goes from four to 12 and, and uh, the big 10 will go from 14 to 16. I think the only, the last one is, and I think this will probably happen too, where uh, Oklahoma and Texas will uh, join the SEC probably in 2024 as well. It'll be for a major price, but it will be. And eventually they'll just say, okay, let's just get this done. It doesn't really uh, behoove either the SEC or Big 12 to have, or the schools to have this, um, you know, purgatory, if you will, for a year. So I I think right now uh, it it is fascinating though. I mean, let's talk about the Big 10 a little bit. Um, I know there, there seems to be kind of this, reluctance to to ditch divisions it's gone i mean those are not happening ever again after this year they're gone there's and there's not going to be a pod system that's gone it's going to be everybody you're going to cycle through as many opponents as you can the only question is protected rivals uh and you know it's funny because you know the the people who kind of think of this simplistically is well just kick Purdue to the East and add UCLA and USC to the West. And it's all good. I'm like, but the big 10 is bringing USC to play Ohio state, Michigan and Penn state. They're not bringing them in to play Illinois, Minnesota and Iowa, you know? So. Uh, and, and TV certainly going to have a say yeah. in all of this. There's a reason why they're paying $8 billion over <laughs> yeah. seven years. And, uh, and it all happened after USC you know, join the fray. So you've, you've got that system. It, it's, it's what it's going to be is you've got teams like Iowa who want to play three rivals every year. Uh, you've got teams like Michigan who want two. You've got, and then like Penn State, um, at least with the old AD, it was like, we don't want to play, we don't care to play anybody every year. You know, Rutgers and Maryland, I mean, they kind of play each other, but they're not necessarily rivals. You know, they got kind of brought in together. And and so they, they're they navigating that field as far as how many protected rivals should they have um, and then how do you structure it. So Can it be a different amount for each team? That's what they're looking at right now. Rob. And then it's, it's, Iowa, like I said, has maybe three, but then somebody else may have one. Now, how do you package that in a scheduling model that's fairly balanced? That's going to be the fascinating part. And to me, what makes the most sense is a three, six, six method, which we've talked about before, which is everybody has three protected rivals and you cycle through the other 12 teams twice over a four year period. Now, what you could do is out of that 24 rivalry block is say 10 of them are sacred, you know, Ohio state, Michigan, Illinois, Northwestern, Iowa, Minnesota, uh, you know, there's, there's about 10 and Iowa has three of them uh, that, that really matter. And then there would be about 14 that either are, yeah, they're nice. Let's say Illinois, Purdue, um, you know, that's a good one or, or something else like that. Or you decide, you know what, let's start this off with a bang and have USC play Ohio State over a four-year block to start it all off. And then after the end of that four-year period, you cycle through some of the other ones. You say, well, okay, we're we're good with, uh, you know, USC is now going to go play Penn State for four straight years instead of Ohio State. Or, or, you know, and then that way, it's kind of like what's going on now with the divisional structure where Indiana and Purdue are uh, permanent, but then everybody else kind of goes through a six-year block. And so I think that's probably the way it makes the most sense to structure this. Um, but, you know, they, they still got to work through it. And right now it looks like it'll be February before it gets done. Yeah, it's not an easy task. 
that they have and uh, trying to make, you know, 16 university athletic departments happy is hard to do. And you're gonna, there's going to have to be some, you know, compromise. There's no doubt about that. And we'll see if Iowa has to compromise. And if it does, where those protected rivalries, which one will, which ones will, which ones will survive to be annual and when, which ones will main, you know, maybe every other year, every two years, whatever that the case may be. I just wonder if they go away from divisions, which it looks like they will do. I wonder if they'll, you know, look for those, those marquee regular season matchups. I know they will, but I don't mm-hmm. think they want to have like USC playing like Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, you know, every year, because you're taking your top two teams, you still want that Big Ten championship game to have some value. So I wonder if they'll structure it in a way to maybe split those up where, you know, USC, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan play two, the, two of the other ones and maybe not a third mm-hmm. of the other one just to kind of – because you were talking about early, Scott, you want to have some balance here. You don't want to have mm-hmm. some schools playing all the heavyweights and then somebody getting, you know, finishing second in the – conference because they they avoided all of those teams yeah and we get that sometimes now with the west i mean you're sometimes you know like you look at this year i mean if iowa plays indiana instead of ohio state maybe they're in indianapolis you know purdue Purdue didn't play michigan or ohio state did they right right they played penn state right and and lost that but they didn't play michigan you know except in the championship so you know i I mean you you, what you do is you look at and and i've talked to one person at the big 10 who said look you know the one thing we want to avoid most of all out of any of this is three undefeated teams you never want to get to that part and then so you got to have some sort of crossover type making sure that there's somebody's playing somebody who's playing somebody to to ensure that never happens um now the uh you know like let's take usc for instance protected number one of course would be ucla Mm -hmm. you know that's gonna happen and that should happen um but then there's nobody else that really jumps out and says, well, they need to play them every year, but over a four year block, they could. So maybe they say, you know what? Let's have you play Nebraska ever, you know, for a four year block and Ohio State over a four year block and then structure your schedule where you're still going to play Michigan twice. You're still going to play Penn State twice, but make sure you're not playing them in the same years, you know, that maybe yeah. it's, you know, you're playing Ohio State and Michigan, then the next Ohio State and Penn State, you know, kind of fluctuate it that way. Or uh, now they didn't do that with Nebraska. They just said, <laughs> Delaney just said, you're playing everybody and, and you're going to get thumped right away. But I think they played in their first year or two. They played Wisconsin, Ohio State. And Wisconsin was really good because they had Russell Wilson. Uh, Ohio State, uh, Michigan was in the same division. So they just yeah. threw them. Thank you, Adam, which was kind of funny. But, but, uh, no, I, I think that's probably the case. And then, you know, you examine Iowa's. I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense who they want to play. You know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska. But you know, the league priority would be well. Minnesota is the fourth oldest rivalry in the league. It's for one of the most iconic trophies in the league. They've played every year since 1931. It would be stupid and be contrary to everything it represents to throw that one out. Nebraska, Iowa has built a lot of equity on Black Friday. It, even though like this year, the ratings went down a little bit, but it was on BTN, which won't happen anymore. Um, 
and, and Nebraska needs a rival too. Nebraska has a say. They're a vested member. So it'll probably be that one, number two. And then if they could squeeze in Iowa, Wisconsin, they will. And, uh, you know, so that might be set permanently or like, hey, we're, we're going to continue to try to get Iowa, Wisconsin. If one of you guys falls off or, or something really happens, then maybe we'll have to cycle you out once. But, um, but, you know, then, then there's other, you know, you, you just, you want to make sure that no team has to play like six at heavyweights, um, in a given year, but you also want to make sure that everybody plays who they consider very, very important. So I, I, it's going to be about February before it's all finalized. It doesn't have to be finalized very quickly, but I, I think it's going to work out. And again, I think the three, six, six method is the best way. Everybody gets three protected, uh, for a four year block and then. And then you play everybody else twice over that same time period. So then, you know, you, you don't have to, cause you know, the one thing I think everybody agrees with here and probably everywhere is you don't want to play Rutgers more than Wisconsin, you know, and, you know, and Penn state, maybe, you know, that, that's a weird one because they've, they've had permanent rivalries in the past with Michigan state and uh, Ohio state. Um, I don't know what they feel like. I know Michigan, that one's kind of spackled together, Michigan State, even though it gets good ratings and it's usually a competitive series. But, um, you know, but they also the have the Governor's team. Trophy. That's the, no, the, the, that's the uh, Land Grant Trophy. Oh, uh, okay. I know it was something that nobody yeah. cares about. Yeah, that's like, looks like a pipe, pipe organ. It's, 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 it's kind of like one of the Sickos trophies, you know. <laughs> They've got the victory governor's victory bell with Minnesota, which uh, a yeah. few years a few years ago Minnesota won that and it broke it to pieces, <laughs> <laughs> which is fitting, I think. But uh, you know they have a lot of broken trophies up there. But uh, <laughs> except Floyd, he he doesn't go up there except to visit. But <laughs> so you know it, it's all fascinating to me because um, you know, and then there's some other parts I didn't really get into, but you know they're going to look for a way to get. Week zero in, you know, involved in the scheduling every year. Right yeah. now, right now you have to either A, play an FCS opponent to move it there. You have to play a team, either like Hawaii or a team that plays Hawaii to get it in week zero, or you have to play internationally. And I think right now what they're looking at, especially with having CBS, NBC, Fox, BTN, they would really like to have you know, multiple games on week zero because it is kind of a high visibility week. I mean, look at the Nebraska Northwestern game. Do you think if that's in November 13th that it gets any kind of rating at all? But it got four and a half million viewers, you know, not, yeah. not just because they were in Ireland, but because it was football on that first weekend. So I think if, uh, now, uh, you know, maybe Iowa and Wisconsin should move theirs up and play in Munich or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, I have a early October fest, but I, uh, so anyway, I, I think that's probably, uh, you know, another part of what they're going to do. And then, of course, uh, beginning next year, Saturday night throughout the month of, of November, that's going to be a part of it. That's going to be cold is what that's going to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from somebody who's on the field shooting photos, that's the first thing that pops in my mind. Um, we'll, uh, we'll obviously talk a lot more about this, but check out Scott's piece at The Athletic, uh, give you kind of some insight into uh, what uh, we're looking at potential outcomes come February when they figure this all out and are getting ready to announce it. Um, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, Scott, your piece today on the, you know, the future of the bowl system. 
with the playoff expanding, um, and I think you have a really good example of some of the pitfalls, so to speak, with this year's Music City Bowl. And mm-hmm. those of us who follow Iowa media fans understand the dynamic here where Iowa is playing a quarterback that's never taken a college snap and Kentucky is not is without its top quarterback who's preparing for the NFL draft and Will Levis, it's starting running back and who will be in the NFL. Chris Rodriguez is not playing. Um, Iowa's missing one of its best receivers in Arlen Bruce. Keegan Johnson is also gone, but he hasn't contributed this much. Those that are listening to this understand kind of what – who's in and who's out for this game. But I think this is kind of a microcosm of what we're looking at across the country moving forward. Oh, exactly. And I think, and and this isn't unique, but it's a great example of what, what bowls are facing now. I mean, I talked to the Sun Bowl executive director and they were the first one to really deal with uh, an opt-out in Christian McCaffrey about five or six years ago. And it was devastating to them at the time. And now they just kind of feel like, well, this is just the way it is. I mean, they have Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's quarterback, you know, hit the transfer portal. And, and so just like with Iowa, you're starting with their number three quarterback against Kentucky's number two quarterback and, you know, and a defensively focused game. Let's be kind. <laughs> but and I uh, think like people will watch the game. Yeah. It, people are going to watch it. And especially Iowa and Kentucky fans are going to watch it. But when you're trying to market it and say, you know, the best players on this team are going to be, you know, you, we see it every every weekend, NFL, college. Mm-hmm. When they promote the games on TV, there's a photos yeah. of the stars in that game. When the stars are out, that takes something away from it. It does. And this is the part of the messaging. I, I talked to an executive at ESPN who handles a lot of this. And part of the messaging is you almost got to turn your head and say, this isn't about a conclusion to this season as much as it is a preview to the next season. Because uh, when you have players hitting the portal and you have um, players opting out for the NFL or injuries that are forcing players to step away for, you know, on their own initiative or, or just because of the injury, then you've got to say, well, this is the team that you're going to have next year. And here's a good chance to kind of look at and watch them grow. And there are commissioners, Jim Phillips with the ACC being one who are really focused on saying, let's eliminate the eligibility concerns for the red shirts that they're all eligible for this game uh, because that way it's kind of a reward for making it through the season. But then uh, when you do have teams like, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, now Miami doesn't, isn't going to a bowl game, but they have 17 guys in the portal, you know, Texas A&M has more than 20. They're not going either, but, but Ole Miss has double digits and all these teams have double digits. And it's like, um, you know, you're down, you're depleted to, you know, they never want to get to a situation where we can't play. We only have 43 players or something with all this type of stuff. So that's a smart way for the Bulls to kind of do it. Now, you know, in other ways are they're going to have to figure out NIL and uh, and how do they uh, pay, you know, do you pay the players outright from the bowl fees or do you look at ways to do it? I mean, to me, I think a no brainer is, why not the day before or two days before the game? You have a big autograph session with all the players. You know, they all get paid. They all show up. You know, stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, appearance fees. You know, how many times have, you know, Iowa gone to some children's hospital or something in Tampa or or wherever? Um, 
now that you know, now it's they should get an appearance fee for that, and not just through their collective, but through the bowl. And I think a lot of that is something the bulls are going to have to think about. And uh, you know, but but the other part is, and why does it why is it viable? I think there's a couple of areas where there's some concerns. One is when you go would expand to from four to 12. Right now, there's kind of that, uh, I'm using purgatory already today, but I'll use it again. Purgatory for, you know, teams like five through eight-ish or nine-ish where they didn't get in, like in Alabama, they didn't get in the, the playoff. That's their expectation. They're going to the Sugar Bowl, which, you know, for Kansas State, their opponent, that's a, a mecca of what they wanted to accomplish. For Alabama, it's a, it's a, down year. So you've got opt-outs, you've got transfers, you've got an unmotivated fan base. Um, that's just going to shift through from teams like 13 through 18 or 19 or something like that. So the Citrus Bowl, the Outback, or formerly known as Outback Bowl, Alamo Bowl, all those bowls are going to really have to try to figure out new ways to motivate fans to go there when their team maybe lost a conference championship game or was 13th and barely missed or whatever. Um, so that's going to be a factor. But, you know, the flip side is that when you look at the ratings, uh, television ratings, bowls are strong. I mean, even mediocre bowl games. Um, I went through it last year. You know, the first uh, wave of bowl games on that first Saturday, which is coming up this week, um, they would have, like, great college basketball matchups. And they'd the worst bowl game would blow away the best college basketball game. You know, when you have the independence bowl, that's like doubling up Ohio state, Kentucky in ratings. It just shows you that college football bowl games, people can't get enough of them. They'll watch them even if they're just on TV. And, and then they'll also, uh, you know, bet on them. They bet on them more than they do basketball. So I think there's, it, they've got to find the, it, a sweet spot. And, and then the other part, and we can talk a little bit about this is the big 10 in particular needs to figure out the, you know, a, a good mix between destinations and drivable locations, destinations like a Tampa, an Orlando Phoenix. That's fine. The, the, but like bringing Nashville aboard was really healthy for the bowl and for the big 10 because it's drivable. And do they need to, um, kind of figure out or navigate or discuss with ESPN or another entity of, you know what, maybe, maybe we need to try to figure out a way to get a bowl in Indianapolis or St. Louis, you know, against the SEC or against the big 12. And um, that way, when you look at a team like Iowa or Illinois or Nebraska, when Nebraska eventually becomes bowl eligible, you know, maybe they play a Missouri and, or a Kentucky there and it's drivable for everybody and, instead of, yeah, we're going to fly to, uh, you know, Charlotte and play this yeah. game, you know, because as we know, I, you know, where I kind of came on this went, okay, things need to change was the pinstripe bowl, Rob. You know, when, yeah, I think you were out there too. There were probably, what, 1,500 Iowa fans who traveled, maybe. There were some that lived there. But there wasn't a whole lot of excitement to, to spend money on a plane ticket, get a couple of nights of hotels at an expensive location um, to see who it. But if this, who wants to sit and freeze their ass off for three hours and pay a right. bunch of money to do it? You can mm-hmm. do that back here in Iowa. Well, exactly. Out on my deck. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 
you know, and, and for a team like Rutgers or Penn State or Maryland, maybe that's that's something that they would consider. Michigan State, where they have a lot of alums in New York City, and we're not very good. You can do that once and kind of get away with. Rutgers could do it probably every year, but. If you're looking at an Iowa, it's like, well, I don't want to go there and freeze my ass off. You know, Wrigley Field, maybe, but but why not think of, you know, and I'm just using St. Louis as an example. I mean, we froze our asses off of that game. It sucked, frankly. And they won, and they feel good about winning, and they beat a 7-5 and five Boston College team. But why not come to St. Louis where it's indoors and it's a drive? And people, you know, fans would drive there. You know, it's like, hey, four and a half hours from, you know, Iowa City or Cedar Rapids and you get there. Maybe it's a hotel room for one night. Maybe it's two nights. But that's a hell of a lot different than hopping in a plane and going to New York and spending four or five hundred dollars a night on hotel rooms. Yeah, the Charlotte one didn't make sense to me when uh, when the Big Ten did, you know, Vegas, I kind of get and Vegas Mm -hmm. makes more sense now with USC and UCLA. The mm-hmm. Arizona Vegas Bulls make sense because, yeah. you know, for us and the teams to the West, and if they add more teams from the West in the future, those make sense. Mm-hmm. The Floridas make sense. You know, obviously California is going to make sense now. Although I was at a, you know, Iowa Big Ten's at a holiday bowl. Maybe that yeah. switches in the future. But I'm with you. I think if you can get some locations where people can drive through, drive to, that aren't like the main bowls, that's mm-hmm. going to help you at least with attendance. And as you said, if football's on TV, people are going to watch it, no matter where you're playing. You can play it in a parking lot. Yeah, exactly. It's December 28th. It's 6 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, let's say this year, you know, Iowa versus Arkansas in St. Louis. People are going to watch it. People are going to watch it from the SEC. They're going to watch it from the Big Ten. They're going to watch it locally, of course. And people are going to bet on it. So, you know, the fact that it's 7-5 versus 6-6 six and six is really irrelevant. You know, it, it's and, – and, you know, if, if you were to have that kind of a matchup or, you know, Illinois versus Missouri or Arkansas, you're going to get 45, 50-plus thousand yeah. people showing up. But now, you know, the Charlotte Bowl, it's an every-other-year bowl along with the Vegas Bowl. So it's not as – you know, that's not a bad thought, but, you know, Maryland is a perfect fit for this year simply because it's going into its old territory and they, and they did it right. And the Mayo's bowl does a great job with a lot of their, they're so much more ahead of the curve than every other bowl in so many different ways (laughs) Uh, from their Mayo bath to to their marketing and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's like uh, anything, you know, you just, fans to travel, to spend their money, you know, no matter what their economic situation is, they, you've got to give them a, a reason. If, the, if I was a good team and they're going to Tampa, they'll flock there, you know, or Orlando or Phoenix or Vegas. I mean, Vegas is a great location for this, but beyond that, when you've got Iowa this year, seven and five, they'll, yeah, they'll hop in the car and go to Nashville, but they're not, if they were playing in, Dallas, or if they're playing New York, especially, forget forget about it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I don't get the Col- I don't get the Fenway Park, uh, Yankee Stadium bowl games. I get the novelty of it, but those just not December, January in those places just isn't attractive to people that are used because basically people use this as vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a vacation. You don't want a vacation where you're just miserable and cold for. 
you know, three, four, five days. If you're going to spend money, I know you're not out, you're, you know, it's only one game that you're outside for, but it just doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem attractive to getting people in the seats. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, the, the weather of course dictates, you know, what we think about, like with New York, I went there when Iowa state played Rutgers in 2011, I think it was. And, you know, it was in the mid forties and, and there's an attractiveness to Christmas in New York and seeing all the sites. And if you haven't been there, I mean, New York is an amazing city, but the time when we went for the Iowa, I mean, it was 21 degrees of kickoff. And then, it, and then it got dark and then it got cold and then there was wind and the field wasn't warm. So there was slipping all over the place. And, and, uh, you know, again, if Iowa is hosting a playoff game, that is completely different. Yes. That is, that instantly becomes the biggest game in Kinnick Stadium history. If number seven Iowa is hosting number 10 Notre Dame or Florida or USC or whatever, it, that's wow. Okay. You know, you'll, you'll freeze your ass off for a playoff. And, um, but for a bowl, bowl's about the experience, not as, as much as the game. And I think, uh, you know, fans will be like, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll pass. I'll just watch it at home on my great TV. Yeah. More, more and more people are doing that. Uh, I think, uh, I talk to people that say, you know, I'm more comfortable on my couch watching it on TV where I can use my own bathroom and, you know, yeah. get cheaper beer. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see where this thing's head. Check out uh, Scott's article on that on The Athletic as well. And we'll be talking about that a lot more as we work through these things uh, in college football. But let's hop into the local discussion here. Iowa found out yesterday would have been Wednesday, December the 14th. Eric All, former tight end. For Michigan, Ohio native, uh, is following his roommate, former roommate, maybe roommates again, uh, Cade McNamara, the quarterback for Michigan, who, unless you've been living under a rock, know that he is joining the program as well. And uh, so Iowa addresses one need, I would say, in quarterback in McNamara and upgrades with a proven player at a position that it utilizes quite a bit. Uh, so you're basically, you know, swapping out Laporter for all. Um, I think all has the potential to be uh, comparable to Laporta. He's not there yet. Laporta is the mm-hmm. tight end of the year in the Big Ten. Um, but you go from losing Laporta with, you know, na- you know whether it's Addison Estrenga or uh, Stilianos even coming. I guess Stilianos is back right next year. Do we know? Yeah. I, yeah. I guess, but we didn't see much from him this year. Um, Johnny Jacuzzi, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's obviously a really good addition, and Iowa is addressing offensive needs, and we'll talk more here about some other guys that are uh, targets for them moving forward. Have have had some guys on campus already, some guys coming to campus. Wide receiver is obviously the position of need now, um, and we'll get some – clarity on that moving forward but uh nice addition so far scott two in and what nine out now is that right nine scholarship out with dallas craddeth announcing this week and dallas is a guy who could have come back yeah uh, with a covid year uh not surprising uh i think the coaches probably would have taken him back as a special teams contributor but um maybe he gets a chance to be an every down player yeah yeah i mean when you look at this i mean there's there's what nine out. And I think it, in some ways, 
you know, you, you you classify the graduate transfers a little differently than the uh, than that than the actual transfer portal guys. And I think part of this is when you look at like Dallas Craddeth, he didn't he didn't get on the field to play safety other than a couple of plays, I think, in his career. And uh, he's a graduate. And that's the most important thing because I don't think he's going to be an NFL player. So it's like, well, okay, he got his degree. He did everything you asked him to do. That that's those are the stories you kind of feel good for, you know, in his case, because now he'll probably go to a a different uh, school and, and have a chance to play, play safety. And he's got a good starter kit. And, you know, Terry Roberts, that that's a little different, I think, in some ways, just because it's um, you know, I think he could have come back and you know, if not played, he certainly would have or started, he certainly would have played. He and Justin Jacobs are graduates too. So all three yeah. of those guys have graduated. So and the day of the same, yeah. Yeah. A lot of these guys leaving Iowa have already or will be Iowa alums exactly. no matter where they go. You know, they got a degree from a Big Ten institution. That's something that they can they will take use for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, and then there are other players like uh like Reggie Bracey, who you know, we, we've talked about it a few weeks ago, Rob, where, um, you know, players like that get to that point of crossroads and like Dallas Kraft decided to stay and get his degree. And even though he wasn't a, a starter, he was a contributor and, and a great teammate by all accounts. But um, and then Reggie Bracey was the same way. But, you know, you, you have that kind of fine line of I don't have much time left and I only have a finite amount of opportunities to play. So, you know, and then there's nothing wrong with that. Then you have, you know, kind of the younger ones, I would say, you know, with Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce and Gavin Williams, who um, for different reasons all chose to leave. And that's, that's the way the world works. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've tried to highlight a little bit, I, I don't know that, the Iowa fan base is used to this because some people think the sky's falling. I'm like, Iowa is just right, right where it is. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what's going on nationally, you know, with this. So don't think it's unusual here, but, but that said, the two that are in, in the barn, great pickups. I mean, guys that there's no guessing other than their health. There's really no guessing to what they can do. Kate, Kate McNamara will start and he'll be an upgrade quarterback. Eric All, if healthy, he and he and uh, Luke Lachey will form one of the best tight end tandems in the country. Uh, so you know, I, I think that's strong. And if you consider him less a tight end and more of a pass catcher, then Iowa has significantly upgraded because, of course, as you said, Sam Laporta is you know one of the three best, three to four best tight ends in the country, and you're you're losing him. That's a significant loss. But now you've mitigated that by having somebody who has NFL caliber ability. Yeah, no question. And uh, as you said, this is the new normal. Mm -hmm. Um, You lose guys mostly on the front end when the portal opens, and then you take the time during the time it's open to replenish. And that's where Iowa is right now. And they have other players coming in here to visit, and they're out recruiting on the road, have been this month, Mm -hmm. looking for other players, looking for guys that fit, looking for need to address needs. Um, and that's just kind of the way it works. And uh, we'll see where it goes and we'll see what they get. And we wish the guys that are leaving well. Um, you want to be, you know, if you don't want to be where you're at, it's okay to move. And, you know, 
that's uh, that's where we're, you know, that's where things are at right now. And you look at it and say, why would somebody want to leave? Well, we don't know what's going through their mind. We don't know what they're thinking. We don't know, you know, what is important to them. And you just mm-hmm. kind of have to, to let them go and, and uh, wish them the best. And then, you know, from a health standpoint with McNamara and all, you hope that they can get as healthy as soon as possible and get into the, you know, spring ball and, and be able to, you know, get acclimated to the system. Um, I would think that the Iowa coaches have done some medical checks here to make sure that these guys are um, on track to be healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would just bring guys in that, because you know, we're talking NIL here too. So you're not going to invest in guys if you, if there's like, you know, the odds are, you know, or or it's a little sketchy whether or not they're going to be healthy. You're right. Yeah, you're not going to just throw money and then, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, because this is really like you just got to look at it like NFL free agency. You know, that's really the only way you can assess it anymore. And uh, you know, they they do you know whether it's medical checks or or whatever they do do their due diligence. And I can't imagine that they would just say yeah sure. And and really of the two, I mean, I think Eric All and his back injury is something you probably are a little more concerned with, and maybe that lends itself to. And I'm only speculating here, you know, but maybe he doesn't compete in uh, you know pads in the spring maybe it's just you know we're gonna have you run some routes and catch some passes but no you know you're wearing a red jersey even in that um and probably the same thing with with McNamara to an extent but um I I think overall though but you know you look at the the ones that I think fans have brought up question marks I mean it really starts with Justin Jacobs and and it's understandable for people to have questions because here's a player who um everybody liked everybody thought had a really good chance to to do some good things in Iowa. And, and next year he would have kind of slipped into that. I'm the man of the defense role. And um, he chose to leave and, and go to Oregon and, um, you know, did not NIL play a role probably um, did, you know, but he's also a graduate, you know, he'll graduate what Saturday, I think it is. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so he fulfilled his obligation. Now um, people say, well, look at, you know, look at all the history here with Josie Jewell and Jack Campbell and Chad Greenway and all these others. Well, you know, there are other motivating factors. And I think the other thing is when you have a player who has been injured, that sometimes they feel disconnected from their team a little bit and they have a wandering eye and maybe they just need a fresh start. And that's something to also consider here, which is he's not you know, he, he's been out, he's been hurt. He, he had an, he really thought, and I think most people believed he was going to be an NFL draft pick this spring. And then when he was out, it was like, well, you know, you, you haven't really taken that step forward in game action. So, you know, maybe this is his chance to say, all right, well, fresh start. I'm going to a good program. I'm getting kind of a, I'm getting a bump financially. And, and uh, you know, just, you know, I, again, I think you wish him well, even though there may be, I, I can understand the questions though, because Iowa does have a reputation and a, and a pretty good defense. Yes, it does. Uh, Oregon is a uh, flashy program. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of bells and whistles there and success. I mean, it's yeah. been a successful program. A um, couple things, uh, my thoughts on the Justin Jacobs thing. Number one is I don't think, and this is just my opinion. I don't think it's healthy when you have former players that have a platform tweeting at the kid and his dad about, 
nonsense that's pandering to the Iowa fan base that creates a lynch mob type uh, reaction to mm-hmm. a kid that's dedicated four years of his life to your program. And when you look at it, look at it through this lens. Say, and this is like Scott was speculating on, I'm going to speculate on this a little bit. You look at this as free agency. Mm-hmm. And Justin, Jake, Justin Jacobs has given four years to this program. But you need a quarterback. So you bring in Cade McNamara and give him X number of dollars in NIL. Maybe Jacobs says, well, how am I valued in this program? I busted my ass for four years. Well, we don't, you know, in our budget, in our free agency budget, so to speak, we don't have a, you know, we can only give you this much. And another school says, well, we value you more than that. We're going to give you this much. Mm-hmm. That's what, again, speculating. I don't have facts. I'm not throwing out dollar figures, but that's part of this landscape right now. And I don't think it's helpful for a fan base and former players to rally a fan base into trashing on kids for making decisions that help them in life. And Mm -hmm. you could say, well, you know, the guy's tweet was complimentary and go collect the bag or wherever. It was a backhanded compliment. It was a Mm -hmm. backhanded statement that got what it wanted, which was pandering to a fan base that's upset that Justin Jacobs is leaving. So, boom, I'll hop down off the soapbox. Those are my thoughts on it. You're right. And I think there's a lot of what fans have to do is take a step back. And I know it's hard, but would you, would as Iowa fans, would you want Michigan fans to do the same thing to Eric All and to Cade McNamara, who were captains, who really were yeah. Im- important figures um, in this program a year ago? Now, they'll probably, they, I think most people understand the Cade McNamara situation. You know, just kind of think most people in Iowa understood. Jake Rudock, you know, going and, you know, and this was before the portal and all that, but, but, you know, quarterbacks, there's only one that's on the field. He's going to play, but Eric Hall, if he's healthy, he can definitely help Michigan next year. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and he's, he's an NFL player. He really is. He can block. He, he's probably as good of a blocker as they've had since what Hawkinson maybe um, at that position. And plus he's a, an elite pass receiver. So I think this is a huge pickup that's kind of gone on under the radar a little bit for Iowa and, and for Michigan, it wounds them. It clearly wounds them. Would you want Michigan fans coming at, again, coming at him and, and the same way? No. And I think what you, you know, and then coming after parents to me is just gross. I just do not like that at all because you know, whether it's, you know, you, me, whoever, you, you know, our attachment is entirely to our kids. And so that is off limits to the nth degree. Just like if you're coming after me or you, um, you know, our, you know, our kids should be off limits. It's, it's just that drives me crazy. So, um, and it doesn't, it's not a good look and other players see that, see that on the team. Oh, you view us as a commodity. We're just here to play football. That's it. Shut up and play football. And if we leave, we're, we're nobodies. We're nothing. We're just, oh, you know, you, you know, traitors or something like that. No, just let it go. You know, Keegan Johnson, um, had some, had some things he needed to work through. And, uh, it's, it's best for him to probably get a, a start somewhere else. And he did. No need to complain. Just say, okay, thanks. Arlen Bruce, I think, if, if anyone probably did not fit in what Iowa was doing offensively or, you know, either he wasn't the right fit for Iowa or Iowa wasn't the right fit for him. 
he, you know, that makes perfect sense. Um, Gavin Williams has been nothing but a stand-up young man. He fell to number three. Hey, you know, he's going to go. But the Justin Jacobs thing is he's a likable guy. He's going to go to the NFL. And you know what? You, the last thing you want is for guys to talk. And then all of a sudden somebody's like, you know what? I saw the way they treated Justin Jacobs and I'm, I'm not coming here because that will happen. Yep. That definitely happens. So, you know, and it happens because, hey, he's from Southwest Ohio and I will think, you know, and, and players get recruited there. They talk, coaches talk, players talk. It, so I would just recommend from now on, just zip it, just, just move on and uh, be excited about the players that are coming here, not be pissed off or, or de- degrade the ones who are leaving. Yes, um, that's it's the new system, and I and I realize it takes it's gonna it's a, there's an adjustment period here for people to become yeah. comfortable with what's going on here because it's so different than what we've grown up with and what we've seen our whole lives. But this is where we are right now, and look at as Scott said, just look at these people as human beings, not as somebody wearing a number on Saturdays at Kinnick Stadium. They have lives. They have, you know family they're looking out for and they're making what they believe is the best decision for them we've got some other guys that uh are making the best decisions for them scott at least they hope so uh isaac tesla visited here last week he is from hillsdale college in michigan same school that produced zach van valkenberg for iowa uh you spoke last week about how much you liked his film i also think he would be a good fit here uh seth anderson who i think we talked about last week in the podcast, uh, receiver from uh, Charleston, Charleston Southern, yeah, Charleston Southern, right? Um, he's uh, and, we're, and you kind of we're, we're seeing with him kind of the wackiness of this. Uh, he's visiting here starting tomorrow, I believe. But Georgia Tech in his hometown of Atlanta offered him this week, and he's at Georgia Tech today. Probably an probably an easy drive <laughs> for yeah. him to do that, and then he comes in here, so he's you know he's looking over things. Um, and then there are obviously high school recruits. Iowa uh, is it Terrell Washington? Yeah, Terrell Washington, uh, yeah. kind of an athlete type out of Texas who was committed to Purdue. We haven't even hit on that. Purdue has a new coach since the last time yeah. we talked with Jeff Brown going to Louisville and Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator for Illinois, now being at Purdue. So a lot of movement. Uh, but I was hard at work trying to replenish the roster here, and it's. It's kind of fascinating, intriguing to see how this is all going to shake out because it's important because other teams are adding players. Iowa needs to continue to add players. It is, and and I think it's added two humongous pieces, and it, right. and Iowa needs to add more, uh, both through the portal and through traditional recruiting. It needs to secure its recruiting class, um, you know, and there's still a big piece out there. And six days, you just are hoping and praying, and, and I'm sure they don't even need. He doesn't even need to fax it; they'll be there to pick it up, you know, in person, um, you know. But uh, you know, wh- whether it's you know Terrell Washington is an athlete type who's probably more of a running back, but could fit in different spots. Um, and then you you know, as you said, Seth Anderson. I think would be a great fit, you know, Flipper Anderson's son. Flipper Anderson, if, if, if any of you don't know, uh, back in 1989, he still has the NFL single-season record for receiving yards with 336 in one game for the Rams. And uh, Seth uh, went to Charleston Southern and excelled. He did, had a great year, and it was the Big South uh, Big Freshman of the Year and, and did some really good things. So, 
he would be a, a really big fit for, for Iowa. And, um, and that's where having a quarterback, uh, really helps. And then, uh, Isaac Tesla, I think he could be a breakout performer too. He's big. He's physical. He does a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I know some people have poo pooed. Oh, we're just going to go after a division two guy, you know? Well, we got the same thing when Van Valkenburg came in. Whoop, whoop de doo, guy from a division two school and he's all big 10. Yeah, exactly. And, and oh, by the way, Miami's offered, Baylor's offered, Wisconsin. He's already visited Iowa State. Um, you know, there's a chance to be playing against him or with him. And I do think he's capable of taking a, a really big step at Iowa with a, you know, if not a pro quarterback, certainly a, an established college quarterback. And, uh, and so, you know, he visited last weekend. So, Iowa's out there. Iowa is, I, I will say Iowa is making concerted efforts. And I do know that they are really evaluating a lot of offensive linemen, um, whether or not it's been resonated in, uh, trips or, uh, visits coming up or, you know, whatever it, they are evaluating too. So, uh, you know, and then Ernest Hausman from Nebraska, because they do need a linebacker now with just Jacobs out. Um, cause Jay Higgins is right now the only one that's really coming back. So. You know, they, they've got some holes, but I think that they've turned the corner and, and when it comes to the portal and said, all right, we're not just going to be passive observers and just select, a, you know, one little piece and that's it. I mean, they're, they're going all in. It's a buffet, not a, you know, order of order. Yes. Well said. Yes. Iowa is playing the game. We all wondered and talked about last spring and summer. Would Iowa play the game? Uh, it took a while to play the game. It's, you know, it took a while to jump in to do what it's doing now, but it is doing it. So feel good about that. Alex Washington, uh, defensive back from Harvard was scheduled to visit here this weekend. Unfortunately, um, for Iowa, not for the kid, uh, Vanderbilt offered and he switched up his visit this weekend from Iowa to Vanderbilt. So that's another guy whose name's been out there. Uh, we'll see where that goes if, uh, he ends up you know, committing to Vanderbilt this weekend or uh, continuing on with his recruitment and, and making it to Iowa City. Uh, I reached out to him and kind of asked if Iowa was still in the picture and did not hear back. Uh, and he had told me he was going to Vanderbilt this weekend as well. So we've had communication, but um, he uh, stopped short of giving me all the information, which is good for those guys. They don't have to tell yeah. me everything. All right. Exactly. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, we, we've reached out to some, uh, players that haven't come, gotten back to us in different ways and then other ones do. And, and yeah, they, they have a big task ahead of them. I mean, they're, they're trying to make decisions and they don't want to lead anybody astray necessarily. And, and, uh, you know, everybody's got a different fit for you. I mean, if you're thinking about Harvard, you know, you're a Harvard grad and then all of a sudden Vanderbilt, which is another af- uh, academic elite institution yep. and, you're, and you're, and you're playing at a high level in the SEC. That's something that you need to take, really take seriously. And, and so, um, you know, whether you want to be part of DBU or, you know, that's more LSU than Iowa, but Iowa's in that category. I think, you got to take you got to take every look that you can, and maybe if it doesn't work out, there's always January, or you yes. know, so um, or if while you're at Vanderbilt, you can stop by uh, the bowl game, right? <laughs> Have a layover. <laughs> yes, uh, Arlen Harris Jr., another guy that Iowa was involved with, uh, never made it to never made it to Iowa. He visited here when he was in high school, but he committed to Iowa State, running back transfer. Uh, 
St. Louis native that went to Stanford. So that makes makes sense. Iowa State probably needed a running back more than Iowa did, uh, at least at this point right now. Um, so that made sense to me. And uh, as we all know, although you guys don't like to hear it on this podcast, Iowa State is a very good, stable program. Uh, and I get why kids go there. Um, kids in state are going there more than probably they have in the past, and uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. Matt Campbell's got a good program over there. It makes it a little bit harder on Iowa and the coaching staff to recruit, but uh, it is what it is, as they say. So um, not a lot of not a lot of talk about um, on the high school level. We talked about Terrell Washington. There are some guys that they're kind of poking around at. And I still think with the transfer portal now, Scott, I think the late signing period in February could reactivate. Remember it used to be January used to be a big time because, but now where schools are like, okay, we're roster management. We're going to go for these guys in the transfer portal. We don't get them. Here are some high school kids. Cause you got to get, okay, these are guys that are, you know, Along the development process in the in the transfer portal, they have development time behind them at other schools. But like, what is there another guy that in the high school level that could help early? Uh, is, is this kid worth investing in development wise and and you know getting him? Uh, he's got potential. Use it that way. Um, I, I'm interested to see because I think January could, for high school kids could be interesting too because the transfer portal is impacting some of the guys that were, you know, let's say late bloomers, but late yeah. bloomers, kids that emerged this fall. If I was a higher level Mac kid or higher level even FCS kid, I wouldn't sign in December at all. I would wait because, as you said, we got multiple levels here. We, we have the big push where we have more than a 1,000 FBS players alone in the transfer portal. You have, uh, uh, you know, the rush to get the, the higher-end ones right now. You have signing period for the higher levels now, uh, you know, in, in next week. And then after the bowl games, you're going to see other players make, um, you know, thoughts. Maybe it's like, well, we'll stick through the bowl, see what happens, have a, have a conversation at the end of the bowl game, and, and then determine my future. And then so you're going to see another bulge of those. And you're going to see some teams losing. Um, you know, players to the NFL that maybe weren't sure but had a good bowl game or just were kind of borderline. So if you're a borderline Mac, lower-level G5 guy with talent, maybe some interest, maybe there was a preferred walk-on offer from Iowa or Illinois or Kansas State or something like that, hold on, wait. Because as, you know, if Iowa – I think Iowa probably will lose another player or two after the bowl game. And – then they're down to, you know, after the transfer portal, they still have three or four open scholarships. That's where Phil has made his money, man. That's where Phil has gone out and gotten Kayvon Merriweather and Geno Stone and, and players like that. You know, they're, they're last second guys, George Kittle. Yeah. <laughs> they're last, they're last second guys have been better than most people's, uh, elite five stars. So, you know, I would hang on, wait. And then cause, if you're good enough for a Mac school in December, you're going to be good enough for a Mac school in February. Or, you know, now if you're a guy that you've got one offer and it's Miami of Ohio or it's uh, South Dakota and that's it and you don't really 
have, you know, everybody else is like, well, yeah, I guess you can walk on. Then, then sign. Don't, don't, don't risk it. But I think, uh, if you've got a chance where, you know, if you're a Desmond King type where you've got like 10, every Mac school wants you. And then, uh, you got a couple of big 10 schools dabbling at you. I'd wait because as you said, Rob, I think the next month is going to be, not as chaotic as this month, but I think it's got a chance to have some, some real, uh, you know, flexibility for a lot of players. Yeah, no doubt. Recruiting does not sleep. Never. Um, want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That's sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited and all of our sponsors. We're going to hear from a few more now. And Scott and I will be back on the other side to uh, give you the back half of this podcast. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the podcast that we're able to bring to you guys five days a week. Uh, the Hawkeye Hotspot is here on Thursdays. We've got a mailbag on Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the flagship Hawk Fanatic podcast. So we've got something fresh for you every business day of the week and uh we have some weekend podcasts too uh when we have uh the rapid reaction podcast and we'll have one of those after the bowl game with uh jordan canzeri and jovan johnson and we're working on potentially getting maybe a semi-regular basketball reaction show with a former hawkeye or two basketball player once we get past football and we're focused mainly on basketball Although in January, as we just spoke about, we could certainly be focused on football <laughs> recruiting as well. It's always going to be busy. Uh, we will uh, we'll table the preview of the Music City Bowl, maybe to we'll, we'll have to see. Scott's going down to Nashville uh, that the Thursday before the right before the game. We'll see if we can slip something in there and or sometime that week, and we'll preview the game then because I just. I want to wait till we get closer to the game so we know everybody who's playing and yeah. have a better idea of what that's going to look like. Um, and then, as I said, we'll do Festivus, uh, our Festivus show next Thursday. And uh, we'll have uh, we'll have some basketball to talk about next week as well, although Iowa is on uh, finals week break this week. So we haven't – Scott and I were at the games Thursday and Sunday. Iowa State win. 
disappointing overtime loss to Wisconsin. Chris or uh, friend McCaffrey was on with Anthony Heron on this serious show yesterday, the Big Ten show, and he indicated that Chris would be out. Chris Murray would be out a couple more weeks. Um, and I think it lines up pretty well, Scott, in terms of what the schedule looked like. I think SEMO is next, and then what, Eastern Illinois? Yeah, yeah. They've got two got two teams that are just That's not gonna be Saturday you know, and Wednesday of next week. Yeah. Saturday and then Wednesday. So and then they get back into Big Ten play with Nebraska on 29th, maybe. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but those are the next three games. And I think it's it's smart to get Chris fully healthy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you do not want to jeopardize or further injure him. I mean, if you, you let him heal as long as he can, and even if you got to take an L, you know, to Nebraska or, or something like that, that's okay. You'll survive that. But what you don't want to do is rush him back. And then all of a sudden it becomes a lingering factor and you lose a lot of close games because he's not full strength. Uh, so you could suck it up and lose or play hard, you know, because they, they do open Big Ten play with two road games. You know, I mean, reopen it up, I should say, Nebraska and at Nebraska and at Penn State. And that could be a challenge, no question. But they're all pretty tough teams these mm-hmm. days. So, uh, but. And then Purdue comes on the fifth, right? Uh, Indiana. Oh, Indiana. I knew it was one of those Indiana yeah. schools that are very good. Yeah. And then you're at Rutgers. They're pretty good. I mean, so, you know, Maryland and and from Michigan and Maryland then. And so you do got a lot of different teams coming into play. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. And it's, you know, the Big Ten is going to be a grind as much as ever because if nothing else, the bottom is, isn't so bad as it used to be, you know, so, uh, but, you know, in watching the games last week, I thought I was really impressed with the way that they played against Iowa State. You know, taking a 15-0 lead, 20-2 lead, uh, you know, just the the manner in which they dictated the game, the the whole part of the game, and didn't let up and were physical and and played great defense, which I think has always been a rarity for Iowa. And then also um, hit shots and just did it without Chris Murray. I thought that was really impressive. And I think against Wisconsin, they were just too depleted, uh, both with Murray and Aaron Euless out. It just um, you know, uh, Peyton Sanford is struggling a lot. And the only way to really get out of that is to, to shoot your way out in some ways. And, you know, he's trying. <laughs> he was there. I saw him two hours before tip out there with Matt Gates shooting, shooting, you know, trying to, to and, but you, as you know, in a skill sport like this, if you're not hitting, it's mental. And, and that's kind of the case where you think you got it. But then the the basket looks so small, whereas other times it looks really big. Yeah, I thought he might break out of the slump a little bit. He hit some mid-range stuff one of the days last week and then uh, just cannot get consistency with his shot. He is pressing a little bit. You can see some of it is forced, um, you know, and and you can see reactions on his face when he misses the shot. You can see the disappointment on his face, and it has a tendency to snowball. Matt Gatons went through that when he was here, so he can certainly relay and translate to those guys kind of the mental part of it, you know, but we've yeah. seen Bohannon go through it. The good shooters go through it. It's just, yeah. it's the nature of the game and Peyton will, will get his stroke back uh, at some point. It, I've been impressed with, and I, I think it's Matt, as far as I know, it's Matt Gatons that's helped Connor McCaffrey with his shot. His shot looks 
so much better than it has. And it's, it's effective. He's making shots, which is the most important thing, but it looks better, more arc on it. And he's been, I mean, he and Patrick, uh, have been playing really good. They had a really good week last week for the most part. And, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see it's, uh, we talked about it before Scott, but it's pretty nice to have a, you know, uh, an older guy like Connor McCaffrey, you lose Chris Murray to be able to put him into the starting lineup and he guards, you know, five positions, which goes under. I mean, I love watching Connor play defense. It's amazing to watch. He'll play a point guard and then the next trip down, he's playing the center. So yeah. fun to watch. Yeah, he's he's always been that floor general coach on the floor type. But, you know, to see now that he's healthy, you know, he's had, you know, the, the hip surgeries last year, so, uh, shoulder issues in the past that have really hurt him. I think shooting the ball and not only that, but just getting his whole body into a shot that now he's, you know, more arc, as he said, you know, it's not as flat as some of his outside shots as were before. And he and Patrick combined for 68 points in that two game stretch. I think they had 41 on Sunday against, uh, Wisconsin. Um, they are taking steps forward and it's, uh, it's really neat to see. And Connor is, um, you know, we've, we've seen, there's been some really good players at Iowa who were, are going to make exceptional coaches. Matt Gatons, I think is on that fast track. Uh, Jeff Warner certainly is, uh, Dean Oliver who coached <laughs> against mm-hmm. Iowa the other day. Uh, you know, and the list is, you know, on and on. Connor McCaffrey will be a head coach at a high level institution and he will be a successful one. He may even win a final four. Um, he has every single intangible gift you want along with the tangibles and the just, you know, I, I, I think there would be a market for him, an NIL market to be a grad assistant, <laughs> you know, at some point. Cause I just think he sees the game at a level that I've never seen at this from anybody at, at, uh, at this uh, stage of their career. So he is, um, he is performing it, you know, in a way that I think really is helpful. Now they've got two more games to kind of play around with SEMO and in Eastern Illinois. That's what they're there for. No need to complain about it. <laughs> they're there to win. They're there to work through some things and probably try to get some guys some minutes. Uh, you, you know, I think you might want to get Josh Agundale uh, even a, a few more minutes because you're going to need them in Big Ten play. Uh, because you don't want to wear out uh, Philip Rabraca. And, and you're going to have to try to get Peyton Sanford on track. He's capable. We all know he's capable of having some big moments. He's had them before. But you just need to make sure that he gets off his slump in the next couple of games so then he's a- able to do that. Because even when Chris Murray does return with a foot injury, it's not exactly like you can go out there and play 40 minutes. You know, you, you, you know your feet are a little different than – other parts of your body that you kind of have to you kind of ignore yeah that chris right now is probably limited or definitely limited in what he's able to do he probably can shoot maybe a little bit and but cardio wise he's shut down and it's going to make it more you know it's going to take a little bit for him to get back on there and uh since ari gold in the chat room uh the two boomers that don't read the chat he took a shot at us and I, I fit that description. I guess I am a boomer or an old dude or whatever. 
And I said that we do read the chat, Ari. And then Ari said he's left comments in the chat room in the past shows and we don't read the chat. No, I read the chat, Ari. It's hard for me to respond to the chat while I'm recording a podcast. The chat room is for you guys to converse. If you have a question in there, I'll try to get to it and I can answer it on the podcast or Scott will answer it. But we are reading the chat. It's just hard for us to chat and pod at the same time. So mm-hmm. there's your answer. That's why I didn't answer your question on the chat in the chat. I answered it on the podcast. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, yeah. So one and two last week for the men's team, that not ideal, not what you want, but I almost say Duke, the Duke game. Mm, yeah. It's Duke in New York. Uh, the Wisconsin game. I never put a, ton of stock in because it's such a different style and if Wisconsin is allowed to grab and clutch and uh, restrict movement on a team like Iowa it's difficult to win Um, I'm not blaming the officials Uh, it's just the way certain teams play in this conference Michigan State where you you do it so much you grab and clutch and hold and restrict movement that the referees can't call it all they call some Mm -hmm. but they can't call it all um, and I was had a trouble with Wisconsin being able to combat that Michigan state as well. Um, but I don't, I, I didn't look at Sunday's game and say, Oh crap, I was in trouble. It just, it was an Iowa Wisconsin game. If Iowa would have had Euless and Chris Murray, I think I would have probably been more concerned. Uh, but you know, starting out without those two, I mean, two of your starters, and you Lewis know, has played well. He's gotten yeah. a lot better. And his shot looks better, too. Matt Gaines gets a hat tip there. Yeah. I, I think in some ways you just look at, uh, you know, I mean, that was Asante Bowen's first start. And and you could tell. I think he's got a lot of potential, but you could tell. And uh, and so the younger players were struggling a little bit, and they didn't have, uh, you know, a couple of big pieces. So, you know, the fact that they got it to overtime. I mean, it was an exciting game. I think everybody played hard, um, which is fun to see. I think they were both teams were kind of wailing on each other in overtime, hitting shots. And, and that's kind of, you know, that's, it's entertainment, most of all. But what, I, what I'm trying to do with this team right now is look at it holistically over its six-game stretch, uh, where it plays six power uh, five you know, power opponents. You know, uh, they're three of three. You know, they lost to TCU kind of decisively. They lost to Duke decisively, and they lost in overtime to Wisconsin. Now, that one's a little bit of a of an issue just because it's at home and it's a conference game and a rival. But but I thought that their wins over Georgia Tech and Iowa State were, were really impressive. Uh, Clemson, uh, you know, they got through it. They won. Um, so they're right where they probably should be, which is – Mid pack of the Big Ten. They've got some areas of deficiency that we know about. I think Philip Rabraca has played better than I expected. I think he's really played well. And uh, I think when you take away one of the best players in the Big Ten, this team is going to struggle to compensate for that. And and that's kind of where they are right now. And um, you know, they they've got two more wins to get through. Then, you know, this Big Ten is gonna be you know, again, with, with teams like initially you look at, you know, at Nebraska, at Penn State, you're thinking, okay, you got a chance to kind of get through this. No, they got three out of their first four on the road. And, and you know, after Indiana at home, which is Indiana is one of the best teams in the league, then at Rutgers, that's that's not an easy trip either. So um, 
it's going to take a lot to get through this. And they may still be a pretty good team, but the record may not reflect anything more than just uh, mid-level. Penn State's good. They shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. I like him as a coach. I think he's got them going in the right direction. Nebraska is still inconsistent, but did beat Creighton. Rutgers yeah. beat Indiana at home. Um, you know, Penn State beat Illinois. Yeah, Penn State road. beat Illinois on the road. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's going to be a gauntlet, no doubt. Iowa should be nine and three headed back into Big Ten play if it wins the next two. Iowa is currently boo. 37th in the NCAA's net rankings right now. Um, one and one in the quad one games, one and two in quad two games, two and oh in quad three games, three and oh in quad four games. Uh, if you follow the net rankings, so uh, not bad. Um, kind of right in there, gonna have work to do in the Big Ten, but you always have work to do in the Big Ten. And the good thing about playing in this conference, Scott. You get good, you get opportunities every night to play a team that can help your RPI or your net rankings most well most nights. Yeah, right. Other than Northwestern, I think they're in pretty good shape there. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> just, what's happened. I don't know what's happened in Evanston. I haven't been there since they, the new arena's been. I haven't you know, either, christened. But you know, I, I you wonder how much longer they could take that. I mean, I know they really like Chris Collins, and but you can only live on that first tournament right. for so long, and then it's time to to move on and you're in a prime recruiting area and they should be better than what they are. Yeah, just Northwestern think, basketball and football has fallen back to the old depths of despair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I think, and I certainly know Fitz is a great coach. Yes. Um, you know, Chris Collins has done a nice job, but uh, at some point you got to take that step forward and you know, be competitive year in and year out, not necessarily in the tournament every year, but you certainly got to be competitive for the tournament or the NIT on an annual basis. And they're not, uh, but you know, the, 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 the tough part is for Iowa, if, if this thing with Chris Murray lingers, you're playing teams where you might lose by four to five points every night. And even though you're just as good as they are, but it does take players to win games. You can't, you can say next man in all you want, but there, there aren't very many Chris Murray's in college basketball and certainly not in the Big Ten. So, and you'll need them because, you know, the, the things that kind of pop up, although what, uh, one of the off-season guys, uh, Amiak or whatever, that is available again. So, but you know, their their post play is is going to be they're going to have to compensate for that. And uh, you know, because again, Rebraca is going to get worn down. He's going to get in foul trouble at some point, and you're going to have to have somebody like a Gundale, uh step in, or it could be a really tough go at times. Yeah, no doubt. There's always big players in the Big Ten that uh, cause problems. Zach Eady is another guy we talked about, guys that have gotten yeah. better since last year, and Connor McCaffrey and Aaron Eulis for Iowa. Um, man, I, I didn't know if Zach Eady could get here, but Matt Painter is, uh, man, he is good at developing these guys because Eady is dominant right now. Yeah, Purdue to me is kind of like Iowa football. You know, and, yeah. and Purdue basketball, because I think Painter is an outstanding coach. He's a great developer. He has a scheme and a style that he that he coaches to. And generally they're, you know, every now and then they'll kind of fall back. But generally they are a very competitive team and it's certainly a tough out. And so I think this is uh, indicative of him and, and, and lucky for Iowa. They only play Purdue once. 
and it's over there. So now, granted, you know, they've had, they've struggled against it for a while, and then, then they won the Big Ten tournament against Purdue last year. But I think, uh, you know, overall, they, man, they, you know, they lose Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey, and they're still kick ass. I mean, that's a heck of a program. Yeah, number one. Yeah. So, you know, they're, that's, that's the thing with this, this league. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I usually, you know, kind of almost roll my eyes because I hear it every year. Oh, yeah, we're the best league in the country. But, you know, the best league in the country doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win the national title or get three teams to the Final Four. But what it means is the Team 14 is good enough to really hang with Teams 2, 3, and 4, or in this case, probably Team 13 is that good, which means that you go on the road and you're playing Nebraska and you're thinking, okay, you should be able to, you know, even if you have a rough night, you still should be able to win by eight and move on. You're like, oh crap, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, it, you can't play bad and lose. You know, you're going to lose. So they're going to lose some games in the Big Ten, folks. They're going to lose a few games decisively, and they might even lose a game or two in February, and it's not considered a fate. Um, but you just you're just going to have to to ride it because if you can get through this, and if Iowa can win 11, 12 games, even in the Big Ten. They're going to be a damn dangerous team in the tournament. Um, they might actually get to the Sweet 16. <laughs> so I, I think you're going to have to have some patience and not as many knee-jerk reactions. And I know I'm. It's like talk, tell my cat to get down out of the Christmas tree, but <laughs> it's still it's, it's the same thing. Iowa women are two and zero. In the Big Ten, wins against Wisconsin, and then they beat Minnesota on Saturday night, I believe it was, at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. We talked last week in last week's pod about the win against Iowa State on Wednesday. So uh, Iowa gets the winner sweep, at least in terms of wrestling, women's and men's basketball, over Iowa State. Um, the women have the Girl Scout game this Sunday, Scott, 2 o'clock, Northern Iowa. Yes, the women still do play Northern Iowa and Drake, and uh, Northern Iowa comes to Carver on Sunday. The Hawkeyes are currently 13th in the net rankings, so in good position there. Um, I think this team's going to be better for the difficult schedule that it's played early in the season, and uh, I, I don't worry about the losses that it has to this point because I think it's gearing up for March, which it needs to do. It learned some lessons last year in March. Um, and I think they've kind of gotten, they've got the focus where it needs to be right now. They have, you know, arguably the best player in the country. And uh, so they will uh, have UNI this Sunday, December 18th. That's a two o'clock start. Then uh, Wednesday, December the 21st, a two o'clock Wednesday game, uh, the holiday sweater game against Dartmouth at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Uh, and then Thursday, December 29th, back into Big Ten play, Purdue comes to Iowa City. So uh, the women's team, are in good, I think it's in good shape right now. And I think it's kind of worked through some some. I don't know, some some issues. I don't even know if issues is the right word, but just kind of figured some things out here in the non-conference and early Big Ten season and is poised to uh, – because the Big Ten is loaded, man. It's it's better than it's been in a while. There's some good teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of them. And I, I think in some ways it's uh, – having these tests, as you said, I think that's really going to help this team – 
through the course of this Big Ten season and then into March because, you know, I think what we learned with Drake is it can't just step on the floor and expect to win without competing. And it won in overtime on the road um, in an environment where – because and they, they need to realize every team is going to give them their best shot. And uh, in Kansas State, confirm that. You know, again, you know, they lost by one point. Um, UConn game was very competitive. They, they show they need to push a little bit more in the latter stages of the game. And NC State, um, they needed to, they learned, needed to learn how to play defense in that game. Uh, cause every time that they would make a run and Caitlin Cart scored about 45 points, um, every time they would make a run, NC State would score every yep. single freaking time. And so you've got to learn, you got to do something differently. And I think they did. And they learned something against Iowa State, which was even when they don't have it, they still compete. And, you know, the other team didn't either. And then in the second half, they were able to kind of get on, on track and still play defense. So all these games, really will help build that mosaic of the season. So when they get to that point of playing Indiana and Maryland back-to-back to finish the season, then the Big Ten tournament, then the NCAA at home, because I think they're that good, um, and get into the potentially the Sweet 16 against a really good team, all these experiences could help them push forward. And And so, you know, Kate Martin, I don't know what her status will be yeah. going, you know, that was a – a tough uh, bone bruise, I think it was on her shin, but you know, those are painful and inhibiting. So, but I do love the fact, as you said, they're playing Northern Iowa. And, you know, that the one thing about the men's team, they've taken away a lot from the fans and they haven't given a lot back. Uh, no more PTL. You know, that was an opportunity, whether you liked it or didn't. Uh, but there was an opportunity for fans to watch some of the players. The new there were ones. times that I liked it and times that I didn't. I liked the first time, the first game. <laughs> and uh, after that, it, it, it was a, it was a work, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you're uh, right. It was good to see, especially the new guys. You get a, your first yeah. real look at the new guys. Yeah. Um, remember shirts and skins before yeah. games, yeah. Uh, football games. Uh, that was an opportunity for fans to watch them. Um, playing the in-state teams home and away. It was a game. Those were games where fans paid attention. You know, they watched them, whether it was on, uh, you know, their local TVs, you know, stations back in the day or, or BTN or whatever. But, hey, they're playing you and I. That's, that's a game that fans watched. And then there was – there were rivalries attached to them because a lot of them, some of them played together and AAU, some played against each other in high school. Um, I'm glad the women at least do that because it does provide, you know, uh, you know, some sort of semblance and a, and a gate too, because, you know, when, when we see Iowa playing Omaha in men's basketball and, and you can hear the ball echo in the rafters, um, you may want to consider, Hey, maybe we should get Drake back on the schedule. You know, just a thought. But anyway, um, that's my soapbox for the day on basketball. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. And we'll, we're going to follow the Iowa men's basketball attendance moving forward. There were some empty seats against Wisconsin that surprised me a little bit. Sunday night, 530. I know there's always excuses, but um, we'll see where that goes. Um, just to finish up on the women, Scott, uh, UConn is sixth 
in the net. NC State is seventh in the net. The Kansas State loss, yeah, that one was not good. Uh, 44th Kansas State is in the net, although it is nine and two. It just hasn't really played anybody other than Iowa, which is why it's down there. But no egregious losses on the women's schedule. So still control destiny, get into that area where you can host the first two rounds and uh, go from there. Uh, Wrestling side, uh, we'll finish up with that. Uh, Iowa went to Chattanooga last weekend. Uh, so got, uh, got, got, had a team down in Tennessee, uh, early in the month, waiting for one later in the month, but, uh, won that one handily, uh, at Chattanooga has the soldier salute. Uh, that is at extreme arena on Thursday, the 29th, Friday, the 30th, uh, go check that out. I'm sure tickets are still available for that deal, that tournament, uh, and then hop into Big Ten play on Friday, January 6th against Illinois. But uh, traditionally kind of a slower kind of time of year for wrestling with, you know, um, finals going on. And, uh, you know, they they kind of front load the schedule, then kind of taper it a little bit in December and then hop back in in January. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the interesting part of wrestling is, uh, you know, there used to be the, the Midlands tournament was kind of a big deal over Christmas break and now it's, uh, no, no longer there. So I, th- I don't know if this kind of fills that vacuum or not, but, but there was an interesting piece of news this morning and that's the UFC has become a sponsor yeah. of the men's and women's, uh, wrestling teams. At and Iowa. I think that's yeah, at Iowa. Yeah. Not everywhere, just Iowa. But I think this is, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a perfect fit because I think you're seeing, uh, you know, athletes that will continue to compete at that level, mixed martial arts. And Iowa has a, a huge brand in the sport, not just Terry and, and Tom, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, this is something that they can partner up and and really be a mutually beneficial relationship. So um, I, I think this is a really good for the program. And um, But, uh, you know, and then wrestling will kind of get back back into focus in January. So I'm anxious to see how Spencer Lee can competes. I mean, his match at home um, a couple of weeks ago, he started out like he always does. And then uh, the last two minutes, he was just like, yeah, I got to get this thing over with. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, but it's been a while since he competed in a real match. No doubt. And uh will be interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about the soldier salute as it gets closer. It's a kind of a neat event that people might want to check out if you're wrestling fans and in the area, not going to the bowl game, Uh nice local event. Extreme arena is doing a heck of a job with hosting events and putting on events. I'm over there four or five times a week, dropping my kids off at practices over in the, uh, the other part of the arena where they have practice courts over there did a great job with state volleyball. And uh, I'm sure we'll do a really good job with uh, the girls state wrestling already have. So uh, kudos to them for, for uh, doing some nice things in Coralville and bringing some, uh, bringing some people to town, bringing some dollars to the area. You know, it's just, it, I, I really like it because I think there's just so many possibilities what it does, you know, and I've been over there for hockey too. And, and that's really kind of fun to watch. And I, I don't know how, you know, how that growth is going to happen there. That, that's kind of a challenge, but, you know, I, I think there's some ways where even the, uh, 
you know, you could have like classics, like women's basketball classic or something on a weekend. You know, I know the volleyball team competed there. I think there's some really, some real interesting opportunities. Maybe the men's basketball team does that yeah. some night, some night where they're playing. I don't know. You know, you know, just anybody, you know, you could now, I don't know what the pay would be or, you know, how they, how they'd have to rent it or whatever. But, but you think about like next uh, Wednesday's two o'clock women's game. Maybe that's one of those where in the future you, you try to put something together like that over in, in Coralville as opposed to, uh, you know, in, in Carver. I don't know. I mean, I think it would be great for parking. Considering <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what we got over there. But, um, and, you know, what's interesting for us, Rob, is that's the day where we have uh, the, uh, you know, that, that's where we have signing day. So I don't know if, how many people are going to be able to go to the basketball game and signing day press conferences on that. Yeah, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a, a crazy, it's kind of everything's jammed into next week. So we'll see how, how that all plays out. Um, Cause you got signing day and then you've got, you know, bowl press conferences and all the other good stuff that's going on and basketball. will get back into action here. Uh, both men and women this weekend at Carver Hawkeye Arena, the men on Saturday night, the women on Sunday afternoon. So a little bit of a down week this week in terms of uh, live action, but we'll kick it back into gear this weekend. And uh, Scott and I will be back. I I always ask Scott, did I forget anything? Because he's, he's the organizer here. Did I forget sure. anything in this podcast? Uh, no, but I think one thing that's just interesting that popped up is that um, – that Drew Brees will be an assistant coach for uh, Purdue Boilermakers in their bowl game. Wow! So yeah. So anyway, I think that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what ha- what Ryan Walters is able to do there. You you go from an extreme offensive coach to an extreme defensive coach, and I watched uh, watched his interview with Dave Revson on the Big Ten Network yesterday, and he seems like a really sharp guy and has an idea of what he wants to do from an offensive perspective. I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, as a defensive coordinator, I know what offenses can do to make me uncomfortable as a defensive coordinator. And I'm looking for an offensive coordinator that can do that and an offense that does that. So it's a good approach. I thought it was a good answer. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, he's a younger guy. He's in his mid thirties. Um, you know, so he's uh, hasn't had a lot of experience, but he's had enough experience and, I really liked watching his video. His first thing he did as a head coach, which was he uh, ended up, uh, you know, putting Devin Mockaby on scholarship, which if anybody watched him play, <laughs> that, that was totally deserved. You know, I don't yeah. know. Probably the best non-scholarship player in the country this year. But, uh, you know, maybe a, other than Iowa's kicker, right? But, but no, I, I think that's – it's really going to be interesting to see which coaches really take that step forward in the Big Ten West. And it's kind of to, to go full circle. I mean, this upcoming year will be the last year for the Big Ten West. But, you know, those three will be somewhat compared to one another. Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, and now Ryan Walters. And, and how do they – contend with one another how they compete recruiting wise with one another and then how do they what kind of level of success they have in the new look big 10 against the older standbys you know uh pat fitzgerald and kirk ferentz and pj fleck is getting in that category and um uh, bielma's not really he's kind of in the middle i suppose but 
Yeah, I, I like what I heard from Ryan Walters. I, I talked to him about a month ago, well, maybe a little more than a month ago, but we were doing kind of our, our All-American teams to try to get a try to pecking order, if you will, of some of his defensive players and their strengths and stuff. And um, I was impressed by what I heard from him then. So he's he's got the goods. But as we know, a lot of coaches have the goods. Can they actually go out and uh, – recruit and play to that and then be lucky enough with schedule with injuries to to execute it and have multiple good years because Ference has done that um the other ones even Fitzgerald hasn't so I think that's uh we'll see what happens yep should be a fun year next year in the Big Ten West likely the last year of the division but uh get new guys new blood in the division guys with uh, pretty good track records and see where we go from there. Scott and I will be back next Thursday for our Festivus episode and also catch up on any goings on in Iowa athletics. And there are always goings on in Iowa athletics to talk about. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about that. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to our sponsors. We'll be back to talk to you next week on the Hawkeye hotspot podcast. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.